is ContraZoom, where we go back and forth about films. I'm your host, Dakota Arsenault, and this episode is presented by Aesthetic Magazine. On today's episode, we have two very special interviews. First up is Carol Nguyen, who is the director of a new short film called No Crying at the Dinner Table. Carol got her start winning high school filmmaking competitions and has now graduated to bigger festivals and competitions. Her film is screening a part of the Shortcuts program at the Toronto International Film Festival. After that interview, you'll hear me speaking with Craig Prater, the president of Heartland Film, a nonprofit organization that, along with hosting its own film festival, has previously screened Carol Nguyen's films. And along with Craig's work in Toronto, he is here to support Carol. I am here talking with Carol Nguyen, director of No Crying at the Dinner Table. Thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me today. Thank you. So you are just about to put out your, your latest film, No Crying at the, the Dinner Table, but you've actually been making films since you were a young teenager. Can you talk about maybe how your craft has improved or changed over the years? Mm-hmm. So I started making films in high school as a part of a film program um, at my art high school called the Chosun School of the Arts. Um, and I started when I was 15, and I had never touched a camera before. didn't even know that I wanted to be a director or what the craft was. And then I fell in love ever since. Um, and then I guess, you know, years later, I'm here now. <laughs> You've had several of your films already premiere at festivals. How do you find this screening process for you? Um, can you be a little more specific with that? What do you mean by well, the screening process? Well, what sort of uh, feedback do you like to receive from these sort of things? Do you enjoy the aspect of them playing in, in different film festivals, whether in competition or out of competition. I'm just curious mm-hmm. about what it's like for a filmmaker to have their work screened in a setting like that. Right. Um, well, I think film festivals are a great opportunity for you to get your work to an audience. And it's oftentimes, it's the first time that you're screening your film for a particular audience, whether it's a certain demographic or you know so on but I think for me my favorite part of screening it in film festivals is just the reaction from audiences and then also the interaction that festivals give you through the Q&A or through meeting the audience and having the ability to not only screen your film but to explain the process or to um Talk more about life, about themes that touch the audience, and and how you know what is the next step to progress what you're trying to say. Do you find that process more productive compared to say meeting with industry people? Oh well, yeah, of course. I mean, I think industry people, you know, meeting with them is good for your career, but as a filmmaker. You know, there's an emotional aspect to it, and you know your your audience is oftentimes 
not industry people, but majority of your audience is just the general public. And mm-hmm. so getting to see that I'm touching someone or that they can relate to this somehow in their own lives, uh, that means so much to me. And it's, I, I love meeting industry people, and I think, uh, you know, it's a very important aspect of film festivals too, but, but oftentimes film festivals bring together cinema lovers, and that's where I see... Um, kind of my audience being. That's fascinating. Um, now, you previously have had your film screened at the Toronto International Film Festival, this being your hometown festival. What do you think separates TIFF from others for you? Actually, this is my first time in the official festival. So I've been a part of TIFF for um, certain programs, like their high school program, TIFF Jump Cut, and there's student program like Boyd University to next wave. But this is my first time being in the festival itself. So it's really exciting. And it makes it even more exciting that, you know, I'm I'm almost out of school in university and I get to bring this film back to where it all started and show it to not only my friends and family, but my film teachers are gonna be there. And and that just means the world to me that, you know, I'm almost stepping into the so-called real world and and the first step is, is home. Um, and, and yeah, I, I think it, it means so much to me. And, and it's so cool that a big festival like TIFF also brings together so many uh, so many people that I've met in the past, which is pretty cool. Like I know Heartland Film Festival is also going to be there, uh, which is kind, of, which kind of brings it all in a circle. Because I started out actually at Heartland Film Festival, my first festival I ever applied for, and the first festival that I ever went to is going to be at TIFF, and then my hometown, bringing it back to my hometown, and then bringing it back to you know TIFF Jump Cuts when I was fifteen. It just feels like it just feels like a full circle. Now, I guess to specifically get into your film, No Crying at the Dinner Table, it delves into the untold secrets within your family, the, the trauma that doesn't get brought up ever. How did you convince your family to talk about these stories? Um, I think my family is a very special family when it comes to filmmaking because I've been doing it for so long. You know at an age where you have no actors or no credibility, the only people who want to be in your films <laughs> is your friends and family. And so it it actually took me, you know, I, I've had years of building trust with them before making this film. And, and for the theme specifically, you know, I think that um, getting their consent and being able to prepare with them so that things are not uh, a surprise on the day of the shoot and just being able to talk to them and build trust by uh, by doing my part in mentally preparing them as a director. And in the end, do you feel that they were comfortable with the situation that they were in? 
I think so. I think I was pretty transparent with them, except for uh, one thing in the film, which I don't, I'm not sure if you watched it. Yeah, I, I had a chance water. to watch it beforehand. Okay. Um, but to prevent it from, you know, listeners from having spoilers, I was very clear to them that they each would be telling this specific story to the camera. But I, the only thing I didn't tell them was that they would be listening back to them. And so everyone was prepared. Everyone knew what specific story they were going to talk about because we had actually done pre-interviews before. So what you see on camera is actually interviews that they that we have discussed in private before. Um, and so a lot of the emotion is real, but a, a lot of... Uh, the emotion is also re-brought up, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. I, I was definitely interested in what your history was with these stories. If the, You mentioned that there was a pre-interview. Were the stories that your mother, your father, and your sister tell told, were they all brand new to you? Or did you maybe know bits and pieces of it before, but this was your first time hearing the stories in full? Well, going into this film, I actually didn't, mean to make this film at all it was supposed to be another film about love and intimacy and i was asking my family um for research about it i was asking my mom about her relationship with parents and um, by asking these questions that's when story their stories that i've never heard before were brought up and you know one by one i was like oh this is interesting i've they never told me this before. And then it all clicked. Like, there was a bigger picture, a bigger film that I should be making um, that is bigger than just love and intimacy. Um, and so, for me, there was my first time hearing it, and then there was my second time hearing it, which was, which were the three interviews, and then hearing it again <laughs> while filming, and then hearing it again, hearing it again while listening. And then, perhaps even hearing it again when watching it. <laughs> that's funny. Um, you were specifically just talking about love and intimacy. I think that's a great segue because in the film, without giving too much away, your parents talk about how the Vietnamese way of dealing with problems is to basically not discuss them and to never show affection. Do you believe there's some sort of stigma of whether it's dealing with these sort of traumas or, or showing uh, different emotions or affection in the Vietnamese community? I definitely don't think it's just the Vietnamese community. To answer your question, I think yes, especially um, the older generation and those that were raised in a less Western kind of setting. But I definitely don't think it's just a Vietnamese um, thing. Perhaps it's a, an Asian cultural thing or, or it spreads out to more of an Asian cultural thing. But I find that um, for us in the Vietnamese community and maybe in the Asian community, there's different ways to express your love to one another and physical affection is one of them. And so, kind of like my mom said in the film, you know, she didn't know that it was 
strange, or to her, she thought it was normal when she lived there. But until she moved to Canada, that's when she felt that she was missing something. So I definitely think that it's a cultural thing, and being more westernized now, I definitely crave that. Um, but I guess for some cultures, it's completely normal. I, I see. I guess speaking on a more technical aspect, you are heard but not seen in this film. What made you to decide to shoot it that way? Um, I think uh, I've been asked this question a lot, actually. Like, why didn't I put myself on camera? Why didn't I tell my side of the story on camera? And I think it has to do with um, what I represent in the concept of the film which is kind of this person who knows all their secrets already. And, and I feel like putting myself on camera would make it ingenuine to their real emotions and their real reactions. So I decided to keep myself off camera because of that and withhold my own story because of that. But um, I feel like that doesn't make me not a part of the film um my voice is present and i i feel like it's clear that i am a part of the family in the film but also my story is conveyed to them but it's private that's interesting that's a, that's a really great answer and i think it definitely gives a lot to think about especially when you're watching the film you looking at your filmography you you seem to alternate back and forth between narrative and, and non-fiction films how do you choose what format to make each project? <laughs> I'm so happy that you noticed. <laughs> Rarely does anyone like go into my filmography and see what I make. <laughs> but um, I don't know. I just kind of decide, you know, one year I'm like, hmm, I want to make something narrative. And I just make it narrative. And one day I just want to make a documentary. I'll make a documentary. I try not to limit myself. I definitely consider myself more of a documentarian, but I just kind of go with my gut and go with the format and the story that is right for me to tell at that time in my life. You've also experimented with animation as well. Is, is that a, a similar idea as whatever suits your story best, that's the method you use? Um, I think animation is different. I think I started animation when I was very young and when I um, first started out in my film career and I didn't know what my style was or what type of filmmaking I'd like to do and you know at that point in my life I really enjoyed kind of the solitude of filmmaking so animation allowed me to do that but now that I crave larger production and and um, real life images uh, it's it's something that I, I can't work alone to create, and I don't want to work alone to create anymore. So I, I don't think animation is for me anymore. <laughs> <laughs> That's understandable. Uh, I get what you're saying. Um, can you maybe talk a bit about your, your association with Heartland Film and how that came to be? Mm -hmm. I just mentioned them in the previous answer. I love, I love Heartland. Um, I got my start in film festivals with Heartland. Um, 
when I was 15 with my first documentary, I submitted to Heartland, and it was the first festival I submitted to, and miraculously, somehow, I was accepted, and I won the grand prize for in the high school competition. Um, and the cool thing about Heartland is that, well, I think now the high school category is with indie shorts, which they separated their festival, but the cool thing is that they fly these high school filmmakers and their parents to the film festival where, you know, as a 15-year-old, you experience a festival for the first time in your life and meet industry professionals and um, working filmmakers, and it's just really, like, eye-opening. Um, and then on top of that, you're awarded some prize money. And for me, I ended up using that prize money for my next project. And so... You know, being opened up to that world at such a young age, I had so much to crave, so much inspiration from the older filmmakers, and so many desires to be better and do more. And I think, I think Heartland really instilled that in me. And then ever since, I've tried to contribute um, as much as I can by, you know, being a jury member in their high school competition or submitting my own films to their official competition now. Um, so I, I have nothing bad to say about Heartland, and my parents love it too because that's, that's where they got introduced to film as well. And um, I'm going to be having lunch with them at TIFF, so that's pretty cool. <laughs> that's exciting. Uh, you're sort of touching upon maybe the different generations of, of filmmakers that you've been exposed to what specifically though does the future of filmmaking look for young and emerging artists like yourself um well the future is bright there's still a lot of work to do for our generation but the future is definitely bright um i think right now there's a focus on empowering women and minorities people of color in film in particular and you can see that we are making progress through films like The Farewell, through programs that are uplifting uh, female filmmakers and people of color, grant programs and fellowships. And it's really exciting to see that um, people like me have the opportunity to, to play with um, the uh, I don't know how to say, these gatekeepers, I guess. Or or to be able to get the opportunity to get to the gatekeepers. Mm-hmm. Um, so I remember when I started out in filmmaking, there was a lot of big talk. And from the older women, the generation above me, they talked a lot about uh, discrimination and uh, unfortunate things that they face in the film industry. And I remember trying to prepare myself for that. And I don't know if I can say that I have faced uh, real-life scenarios of you know, the film industry yet because of school. Although I have never, you know, to this day, I have never faced gender discrimination in film. And, uh, or I think I haven't. And I think that's because of all of the fight of the women 
the fight of the people um, who have helped uplift and empower me now. That's not to say that we're there. I definitely don't think we're there. I definitely think that there's a lot more to do. And I think the landscape of equality in film is different in different industries, different regions, especially different, um, you know, Hollywood versus independent film. But there's definitely a lot more to do. And then for me, it's really inspiring to see people like me on the screen. You know, I wish I had films like the farewell or TV shows like Kim's Convenience when I was younger. Um, I feel like I would have known that that big things were possible at an earlier age. So I just hope that Hollywood and the general public continue to demand more films like these. Absolutely, and and I'm I'm so happy to hear that there hasn't been any sort of circumstance that would have put you off of making films because you're obviously a very talented filmmaker and I'm, I'm very excited to see what you'll do next. And speaking of which, after working on so many short films, do you have plans to eventually start working on a feature length? I do. It's going to be a feature documentary. Um, I can't really speak much of it now because it's really like at a fetus stage. But um, I'm going to be going to Vietnam in October for four months. It's going to be for an exchange, school exchange. But I'm not going for school, to be honest. I'm just going to do research and pre-production. And so I'll, I'll see what comes up and what develops when I'm there. But um, as of what it is, can't speak too much about it. <laughs> I, I understand, but that already sounds exciting based on your your vision and the way you talk about making your films. I'm sure it's going to be a great piece of work. Thank you. So your film, No Crying at the Dinner Table, is screening at the Toronto International Film Festival on Tuesday, September 10th at 9 p.m. at the Scotiabank Theatre. And again on Sunday, September 15th at 9.15 p.m., also at Scotiabank Theatre. And it's a part of the Shortcuts program in Section 8. Carol, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me. Is there anything that you'd like to, to plug or where people can find more information about you and your work? You can like the film on Facebook. We have a Facebook page now. We just read it today. <laughs> and... Um, if you see me at the screening, please come say hi. Thank you so much. It's been a real pleasure and honor, and best of luck at TIFF. Thank you. I am joined with Craig Prater of Heartland Film. He is the president. Uh, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me today, Craig. It's a pleasure, Dakota. Thank you. Now, as president of Heartland Film, what do you look for in a submission when deciding what films to pick up? Well, one of the great attributes that Heartland Film has is we get recognized every year. In fact, we are ranked in some of the, in the top film festivals in the USA for the submission process of reviewing films. When a film is submitted to us, we 
We do that on three different levels, and they get rated in the first level by a group of jury members. Then if they uh, hit a certain point, they go to the second one before it ends up in our film department to make judgment on film. So they go through a very impressive process. So when a film gets accepted to the lineup, we know it's, um, it is of great quality, whether it's um, uh, from a technical aspect, from an enjoyable, fun aspect, or that it's just a saleable one that's going to be interesting to our audiences. Are you actively involved in the application process? Uh, I am uh, not at that point, Dakota. Um, when there becomes a tie or there becomes a question uh, on a number of films, the director of, uh, of the film department, Greg Sorbic, will call me in for my opinion. So I'm usually one of the last ones that goes through such a sophisticated process. They ask me only if there's any questions or maybe a tie or something. I will help uh, step in and maybe break a tie or give my opinion. That sounds like an incredibly difficult position to be put into. <laughs> you know what? I like to always tell everybody that of the films that get accepted, there are lots of other films that are, are quality and impressive that just don't get in, and it's just because of the sheer numbers. We break records each year with the number of submissions coming in, and there's just no way we can get all of the films, and so many of them have high quality, it's impossible to get all of them into the lineup. Oh, that's fascinating. Um, now, I'm speaking to you specifically about Carol Wen in her film, No Crying at the Dinner Table. What attracted you to Carol's work? Well, um, I have been with the film festival for three years now, and my first year here, she won the student award and uh, for her short film at that point, and I started noticing her. And my following year, when I went to the big film market in Toronto, I looked at her, her picture and her name was, was on some of the bus stops. I thought, how did our winning filmmaker of a short film show up in the Toronto? And then I started learning all the background and everything. So um, she's, she's established quite a record with Heartland Film because she won the Student Award two years in a row. And uh, now we're hearing about this incredible film that she's got into the Toronto Film Festival. And, you know, it, you've got to really be on top of your game to be accepted in the Toronto Film Festival. It's uh, one of my favorite and most impressive film festivals in the world. Now, that's a, a fantastic segue because I was just going to ask you, No Crying at the Dinner Table is screening at the Toronto International Film Festival. What does TIFF mean to both Heartland Film and No Crying at the Dinner Table? Um, well, first of all, for Carol to get her film accepted in Toronto, that is in itself is a huge accomplishment because I happen to know she's been, she would have to have been up against a lot of very impressive qualified filmmakers even to get into the door. Toronto Film Festival has been a favorite of mine for oh, probably 25 or 30 years. I think it's one of the finest, most impressive film markets and film festivals in the world. I'll put it up against the big boys around the world, I still think Toronto ranks at the top. So for Carol to get into this film festival, I think she's really accomplished big time. That's fascinating to hear. Um, other than Heartland Film having its own film festival, what exactly do you feel you offer to filmmakers? Well, uh, two years ago, uh, Heartland Film for 25 years had always had a certain section of their uh, film program assigned to short films 
young new filmmakers and even student filmmakers, as well as even uh, local filmmakers. But two years ago, uh, realizing the importance of short films and it's an art form all into itself, we pulled our short film films out of our regular film festival and designated a different time of year. So every July, we have um, the Indie Shorts Film Festival that's presented by Hartman Film, but it's all about short films. So it's all about showing the art form of short films, and then we've got special programs for student filmmakers, young filmmakers, directorial uh, debuts. So uh, we realize the importance of short films, and that's why we've got it in a standalone event each July. Wow, that that sounds really fascinating. Um, I find that young filmmakers have, have much more access to, to cameras and editing software than, than previous generations. How do you think this is shaping their creativity when they don't need to go through a traditional system to get their voices heard? Um, I'm, a, <laughs> I'm a big advocate, and I would say I plead guilty to being partial to young, innovative filmmakers. I like to say that, first of all, they are natural. If, if they're uh, tackling filmmaking, they've got availability now even to do their films on mobile phones. So they've got uh, affordability to really create the film. But the nice and impressive talent of young filmmakers is the fact that I like to say that studios, distributors, and and the film industry has not has not um, changed them yet. I think they come in with some naiveness, some innocence, and creativity that they haven't been hampered by the film industry yet, allowing their creativity to really shine. And I think they are just incredible when they come out with their first film because you think nobody, nobody stepped in and got in their way while they were just creating their first piece. That's interesting. I was thinking how oftentimes, whether it's in film school or on actual sets, there's such a a rigid way of making a film and you're not allowed to break the rules but Heartland Film dedicates a huge portion of their festival to young and emerging filmmakers like you were talking about do you find that people from outside the industry are more willing to take chances and experiment in ways both on and off screen? Um, the answer to that is yes and particularly when and I have to uh, and I say it with respect and a compliment to that young new filmmaker they they take risks and they they're not afraid of of um, a subject matter a storyline or an angle of a shot or or a sound or a a, a of of music or something they just go for it and um, so i think when you have dedicated programs particularly in a short film um event um you're you're seeing more creativity than if it was put into a regular feature festival and just made it a piece and sometimes i feel like the short films get shoved to the back of the bus if you will uh at a regular film festival it's filler they don't get the attention they really deserve and are are warranted hmm that's interesting there's you know many world-renowned directors who got noticed through their short films you know you know people like spike lee and steven spielberg and christopher nolan and on and on and on what moments or sparks do you look for in films that you choose that might produce the next great filmmaker? Uh, when you're watching that short film the first time and you know it's the first filmmaker and something just kind of, uh, uh, maybe I'm searching, I think maybe I might even say shock value 
or because you think, ooh, what did they intend there? Oh, what was their purpose? Or, oh, why did they do that? And it makes you think about the approach, the style of the shot, or something they used. And I think uh, that's what makes you think, oh, wait a minute, they might have something here. Um, and you're right, so many well-known big-time uh, directors had their start with short films. So you never know, and I'll, I'm going to go out on a limb here. We're going to hear in the next years, Carol is not just another short, young filmmaker. This is a young lady that's going to hit big time. You wait and see. I have no doubt about that, especially after watching No Crying at the Dinner Table. It was something that was very moving to me. When you're at a festival like TIFF as president of an organization, what does your business look like? Do you just like network and see what happens organically? Or do you come in with a plan to have meetings and, and see talked about films? Uh-huh. We do a number of things. First of all, this will be our third year. The Heartland International Film Festival hosts one of the most impressive receptions during TIFF. There's a lot of things going on at TIFF. You can't, you know, there's no way you can experience and keep up with everything. But we do host one of the most impressive receptions there. And and this year we had to shut it down because we couldn't handle over 40 people going to attend the first weekend. And so we're we're there to entertain so we can get um, some of the different countries' attention that are submitting their films for best foreign language going to be submitting them. To the category to the Academy and Golden Globe. So we do that reception to get their attention. We're also there setting up uh, meetings with distributors and studios to see what product they've got available this next year. And then also we've got our film department there doing films to see if there's some new undiscovered film that we didn't catch in our submission process. So we do a number of different things. We'll be there with five different people from Heartland Film. That's fascinating to hear. I'm, I'm really excited to see how they'll all turn out for you. Um, are you hoping Thank to you. see any other films at TIFF while you're in town? Yes. Um, yes, we've got um, two uh, from our film department going to be there, and they will be starting first thing in the morning, probably watching anywhere from five to seven films a day to see if there's any film that might have um, flipped through our submission process. And also, we live in the real world knowing that if a filmmaker is submitting their film to film festivals, we know if they have a, if they have a choice of or possibly Heartland Film, they're definitely going to try to hold out for TIFF. But then one of two things happens. They might get submitted, and then we're there to pick it up immediately after TIFF is over, or if they didn't get in, we're willing to be there and entertain the idea of taking even though it's past our deadline now. We've already gone to print on our program, but we're there to try to pick up any last films that might have slipped through the cracks or... Filmmakers might have been disappointed and they didn't get into TIFF and now they're ready to talk to us. It's hard work, but I guess someone has to watch all those movies, don't they? <laughs> That's true. That's true. We sometimes come back from a film festival. We, uh, the group of us were in Berlin and at the Cannes Film Festival, and uh, there were five of us, and each one has come home. Uh, our smallest number of films we viewed was 45, and there were a couple of us that saw 62 films in the, in the course of the film festival, so that was a lot of films in a few days. Wow, I, I can't imagine trying to digest all of that. 
Well, you did, one, uh, uh, particularly me, I have to say, if somebody asked me at the end of the day, what did you see today, I have, I have to look at notes I can't remember. <laughs> <laughs> that is fair. Um, if people are curious about either you or your work at, at Heartland Film, what's the best way to learn more about you? Uh, the best way is certainly our website, which is www.heartlandfilm.org. That's got all of our events, all of the information, and here in just a, a couple of weeks, our full lineup will be there with not only the films, um, but, and we also we had submissions over four or 5,000 this year, so um, you'll see what the film department was faced with narrowed down to, uh, I think it's about 182 films this year. Um, but um, yeah, the best way to get information is go directly to our website at heartlandfilm.org. That's great. Is there anything else you'd like to plug while you're here? Uh, no, we're just anxious to see everybody on October 10th through the 20th, and uh, we're anxious to be in Toronto to uh, show our support for Carol. That's going to do a great job again, I'm sure. Well, Craig, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me. It's been a real pleasure. I've certainly learned a lot today. Thank you very much, Dakota. Have a good one. Bye-bye. I just want to thank Carol Nguyen and Craig Prater for taking the time to talk to me. I also want to thank Eric and Kevin Smale for the theme music and Aesthetic Magazine for presenting the show. You can subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Podcast Attic, Anchor, and more. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at ContraZoomPod and send me an email, ContraZoomPod at gmail.com. Thank you for listening and stay tuned for plenty more TIFF content in the coming weeks. Thank <laughs> you.